Guardian Unlimited. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Dr. Evan Harris. Question one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, sir, the, the financial pressures on Oxfordshire Primary Care Trust are real. To their credit, the Primary Care Trust are sorting those pressures out. And as the Honourable Gentleman knows, Oxfordshire PCT will receive some £727 million in the next financial year, which is an increase of 19% in two years. And given this huge increase in resource, I'm sure they will continue to improve services to their patients over that period. Does his briefing note make reference to the plans to restrict access to various operations in the county or for the Strategic Health Authority to spend £2 million asking PricewaterhouseCoopers how to privatise commissioning services or to cut uh, nearly two-thirds of the community hospital beds, including at Abingdon Community Hospital? And if he provides the list of the number of nurses that his funding has paid for, which I also voted for, will he explain whether that's net or gross of the hundreds of job cuts at the Oxford Active Hospital? Well, first of all, let me point out to him that it is true that for their financial reasons there has been the introduction of the minimum waiting times. However, this will disappear at the end of March. And as a result of the changes that they're making and have made, the number of people that are waiting over 26 weeks for inpatient treatment has fallen in the last 10 years from over 21,000 to nothing. And if I can just point out to them, it is true that there will be some, I think, 60 compulsory redundancies, but there have been in this area almost 20,000 more NHS staff. And let me just say to him that the amount of money that is going into new hospital schemes in Oxfordshire is enormous, and they include, with direct reference to his own constituency, a 134 million PFI scheme to relocate services from the Radcliffe Infirmary to John Radcliffe site, a 129 million pound programme to open a new Oxford Cancer Centre, a 26 million expansion of cardiac care, and on every measure, waiting lists, heart disease, cancer treatment, accident and emergency, performance is up and the number of people waiting is down. Mr. Speaker, sir, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to send our condolences to the family and friends of Royal Marine Jonathan Holland from 4-5 Commando, who was killed in Afghanistan last week. I'm sure the House will also wish to send condolences to the family and friends of the servicemen from 2nd Battalion, the Rifles, who was killed in Iraq yesterday. As we've been saying many times over the last few days, these people are working quite heroically with enormous courage and doing service to their country and the wider world, and we should pay tribute to them. John James. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Colleagues and others, in addition to my duties in the House, I will refer to such meetings later. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I firstly associate myself with my right honourable friend's expressions of condolence? The Prime Minister will know that the UK Borders Bill will give ports such as Swansea increased security, help tackle illegal immigration and fight organised crime. Will he assure my constituents and PCS Union representatives that increased customs and security measures at Wales's second city will be introduced as a measure of the bill? Well, first of all, um, she is entirely right to say the UK Borders Bill will improve security at our ports and I pay tribute to the work that's being done uh, by people in her constituency. But this is in addition to a big investment in the electronic borders, which will allow us to track the movements of people in and out of the country. 
but it is absolutely necessary to combine these measures for better border protection with the introduction of identity cards and a proper identity management system because that is the only way ultimately of tracking illegal immigrants in this country and making sure they can be deported. David Cameron. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Royal Marine Jonathan Holland and Marine Scott Summers, who have died in the last week through service to our country in Afghanistan. And I also pay tribute, as the Prime Minister did, to the soldier who it was announced this morning was killed in Iraq. The Government's NHS plan says that England has too few hospital beds, but the Health Secretary says that fewer beds are a sign of success. Who's right? It depends whether the beds are there for no, it depends whether the beds are there for acute care that people need and emergency care because for example the number of critical care beds has actually gone up under this government rather than down. But as a result of the huge transfer of the number of cases to day case surgery, because we're now doing round about a million more operations a year on day case surgery, in some circumstances there will be a reduction in the requirement for beds. But the most important thing is that people are getting better care. And they're getting better care precisely because of the investment that he opposed and also the changes that allow us, for example, to ensure that people who used to spend several days in hospital for their cataract operation can come in and get it as a day case surgery. Well, let me ask the Prime Minister specifically about hospital beds and the NHS plan. Remember, the NHS plan was launched personally by the Prime Minister in this House in the year 2000. He promised 7,000 extra NHS beds. How many more beds are there today compared with the year 2000? There, there are more. Well, it's exactly as I was saying. There are more acute hospital beds. But, but, but where there has been a reduction, for example, in the number of learning disability beds, because that is no longer the way we treat people in that way, there has been an increase in the number of critical care beds. But most important of all, there's been an increase in the numbers of people we're treating and the speed with which they're treated. And let me just explain this to the right honourable gentleman, that if people no longer have to spend days in hospital for their operation, but the operation can be done in one day, that is of benefit to the patient. And let, him, let, let me just remind him of this. In 1997, there were hundreds of thousands of people that used to wait. Oh. That was... The problem in the National Health Service is, for example, for heart disease. I used to get letters when I first came to power from people whose, whose relatives had died waiting for cardiac care. Now the average is down below three months. So that's what's important in the National Health Service, and that's why we say it's improving. But the fact is, the Prime Minister cannot run away from his promises. He promised 7,000 more beds. In fact, he's delivered a cut of 9,000 beds. 9,000 beds cut from the NHS. Isn't the truth about the NHS under Labour this? 43 maternity units under threat. 106 community hospitals facing closure or cutback. 17 accident and emergency departments facing closure or cutback. And meanwhile, 13 members of his own front bench appearing on picket lines objecting to his own policy. Why did he promise more beds and then cut them? The promise was in relation to acute beds and critical care beds, and he will find we have increased both of those. But in relation to the overall situation in the health service, when he says what has improved in the health service, well, let me tell him what's improved. Waiting times have improved within the health service. 
The number of nurses and doctors have improved inside the health service. The waiting time for heart disease and cancer treatment has improved in the health service. And whereas when we came to power, over half the NHS building stock was built before the NHS was created, that figure is now 20%. Why did that happen? Investment and change, and he opposes both of them. Mr. Speaker, I'm very grateful. I know my right honourable friend is aware of the Airbus Power 8 announcement being made in Toulouse later today. What assurances can he give to my constituents and others who work at Filton and Broughton that our government is doing all it can to ensure that high-value, high-tech, engineering and manufacturing skills are retained in the United Kingdom? Well, first of all, can I begin by paying tribute to the workforce? Um, in my honourable friend's constituency and let me just say that I can tell them that I understand that Filton is set to secure manufacture of key wing components on the A350 and that will represent valuable new capability for the UK and will help maintain the UK lead for future programmes. In addition, we expect the UK role as a continuing centre of excellence for wings also to be confirmed and of course both at Filton and at Broughton there is a tremendous amount of work done by a highly skilled workforce and Airbus itself, of course, which is a, a project of European collaboration, uh, has benefited enormously, not merely um, jobs in this country, but jobs across Europe. And the orders, I think, for Airbus are now around about 2,000 for the new plane. I've actually seen it myself, but it is absolutely superb. It's an extraordinary piece of um, design and engineering and skilled work. And I know that the workforce of my honourable friend's uh, constituency will continue to play a major part in its development in the future. Prime Minister, in his expressions once again of condolence and sympathy for those who have lost their lives, when does the Prime Minister intend to tell the House of Commons the nature of the discussions he's had with President Bush about the deployment of a possible part of an ABM system for the United States here in the United Kingdom? We will tell the House as soon as there is something to say about it. At the moment, those discussions are at a very uh, preliminary stage. But I think it is important that we have those discussions with the United States in order to see what options are available for this country and whether ballistic missile defence would be good for us or not. And I think it's entirely sensible that we have those discussions at the moment, obviously on a confidential basis, but as soon as we have something to report, we will report it. Does the Prime Minister accept that the system which is proposed is largely untried? Indeed, it's been described as firing a bullet in order to hit a bullet. In the circumstances he describes, there would undoubtedly be enormous strategic and political implications of any deployment, not least in the area of arms control. Isn't it right that we should have these discussions here in this House and not behind closed doors? Well, I'm sure we will have a discussion in this House and, and indeed elsewhere outside of the House when we get to the point where there's a proposition that can be put before people. But let me just say this to him. Of course the technology is untried, and of course the technology is in the stage of development with the United States. And the United States also, as was indicated a short time ago in discussion with Poland and the Czech Republic as to whether to cite uh, ballistic missile defence systems there. But I think it's entirely sensible for us to work out what the possible options may be and what the possible interests of this country may be. And when we have got a proposition to put, we will come back and we will put it, and no doubt the uh, right honourable gentleman can then tell us whether he's in favour of it or not. Mr. Speaker, will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating our film industry in its recent magnificent achievements? Yeah. 
I won't be tempted uh, to dwell on the last king of Scotland, a very, a very British film. But does he accept? But does he accept that the contribution of people like Helen Mirren towards the renaissance of the British film industry is truly outstanding? And will he continue to give his support in sustaining it? Well, uh, first of all, I, I'm sure everyone would, uh, would, would join with my right honourable friend in sending our congratulations to Dame Helen Mirren and, and to those that, that won Oscars at the uh, Oscar ceremony. Um, but I think my right honourable friend puts his finger on a very important point, which is, which is the support that is given to the UK film industry. Um, over these past few years has been an immense part of building its success. And that's not simply in relation to the support for the Film Council, but in the, the film tax relief has been also worth millions of pounds and very important indeed. And also we fund the British Film Institute. And as I was hearing from myself yesterday, across the arts and culture over these past ten years, there has been, as one of the people participating said, something of a, of a golden age in terms of the way that we are able to project this country through arts and culture, and it's an important part of making this country, its economy and society successful for the future. Yeah. David Cameron. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I, for the, the first and, and possibly the last time, actually ask the Prime Minister a question about his engagements? Um, did he find time in his busy day to attend the meeting this morning organised by two former Cabinet colleagues to work out how to relaunch his government? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I didn't actually, but I'm, um, I'm delighted that a, a full policy debate is happening within the Labour Party. Um, and actually, I think, I think the strength of our policy rather contrasts with the weakness of his, if I may say so. Since... There is only one policy announcement that he has made in the last 12 days, and that was to announce in the morning of the 16th of February that an absolute commitment had been made to tax breaks for married couples, only, according to Channel 4 News, for the Shadow Chancellor's spokesman to say that he furiously denounced this because it was only merely being considered. So I think when the Right Honourable General gets his own policy-making in order, he then is in a position to rib us about ours. As, um, as part of this hugely welcome great debate, could the Prime Minister solve one of the great mysteries of British politics, which is this, why is it that so many people who've worked so closely with the Chancellor think he'd make a terrible Prime Minister, but they don't seem prepared to stop him? <laughs> Perhaps he should reflect on the Chancellor's record in having delivered us the strongest economy of any major country, the lowest interest rates we've had for 30 years, the lowest unemployment for 30 years, the highest employment ever, the record investment in health and education, and as I pointed out yesterday, for the first time in years, the bottom 40% of the population have seen their incomes rise in percentage terms more than the top 20%. That's his economic record. What's his? Mr. Speaker, isn't... Mr. Speaker... Isn't this the whole problem? The Prime Minister seems to think the Chancellor's Einstein, but half the backbenchers think he's Mrs. Rochester. <laughs> Why doesn't the Prime Minister let him out of the attic and we can get on with the main event? In the end, as I think the Right Honourable Gentleman will find out, it is policy that will determine the future of this country. And every time it comes to policy, the truth is he doesn't know where he stands. 
And if we want any example of that, a few months ago, he was telling us he wanted more engagement for the voluntary sector in the prisons and probation service. Today, he leads his troops into the lobby, voting against that voluntary sector engagement. It is policy that will determine the future of this country. We've got it, and he doesn't. Give the Right Honourable Gentleman a chance. Since private equity firms are now going after healthy, well-managed companies with a large cash flow, often extracting huge personal gains at the expense of enormous job losses and crippling a firm with large debt, will my right honourable friend set up an inquiry into their operation, focusing particularly on the tax relief they receive for leverage buyouts and on the need for them to produce in each case a clear contractual statement of their impact on the public interest, including stakeholder and employee interest? I mean, should my right honourable friend ever find himself answering uh, questions at this dispatch box? Um, let me just say to him that I think what he'll find is the single most important thing for us as a government is to keep our economy strong. I totally understand the concerns about private equity firms, but on the other hand, it is important to recognise we live in a global market today. One of the strengths of this country has been the preeminent position of the city, which has actually increased under us in the past ten years, I'm very pleased to say. And I think that the combination of a strong economy and a commitment to social justice is what has allowed us to win these three elections. And therefore, I think it's important that we continue with that strong new Labour position. And despite the, the obvious um, interest and attractions in seeing him at this dispatch box, I think that will continue, but probably not under him. Why? Why did you tell me last month that criminal law would not apply on a European Union basis when the European Court has judged the exact opposite? You know, the particular judgment that he's referred to, but I assure him, as is very obvious from the amount of legislation we have before this House, it's this House that is in charge of the criminal law of this country. Jeff Ennis. Does the Prime Minister share my enthusiasm for the introduction of 14 to 19 diplomas into our secondary schools next year? No. But does the Prime Minister also agree with me that if um, 14 to 19 diplomas are to be truly successful, that they must be delivered by all our secondary schools and not just some? Well, I think it is important that the, the diploma is widely used. And, and uh, incidentally, let me congratulate again. Um, the education authorities and the schools are my honourable friend's constituency that have made such rapid improvements in the past few years. But I think we, we, w when we introduce this, which was based on the Tomlinson report, it will allow those at the age of 14 for the first time to get a really um, good vocational stream of education where they'll be able, for example, to go out and sp spend some work experience with local employers. And I think it is all part of trying to bring that vocational education system 
closer to the world of work and give the youngsters who may decide they don't want to go down the academic route a far better and preferred way of, of, of getting educated. And in, incidentally, on top of that, of course, we are increasing dramatically the number of apprenticeships. And I think that is also an important part of making sure this country gets the skilled workforce in the future. Michael Fabrican. Question five, Mr. Speaker. As my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Health, announced on the 16th of May, the intention is that Staffordshire Ambulance Service, NHS Trust, and the West Midlands Ambulance Service, NHS Trust, should work together to prepare for a merger. A timetable has not been set for this, but a partnership board has been established to take forward work relating to the merger. Shall I I'm, can... I'm grateful for the I'm grateful to the Prime Minister to the answer to that question, but he might know actually that a merger is now being proposed. Now, the Health Secretary made assurances to Staffordshire Members of Parliament that there would be no merger until the West Midlands Trust had reached the same high standard as Staffordshire. But if, God forbid, you were to have a cardiac arrest in Staffordshire, you would have a 60% chance of recovery, whereas in the West Midlands, a 65% chance of dying. That standard hasn't been reached, yet a merger is still being proposed. So what can the Prime Minister say to people in Staffordshire to say that our ambulance service is not going to be degraded through that merger? I mean, I mean, it is a perfectly reasonable point that uh, the Honourable Gentleman makes, and obviously the terms of the merger are extremely important. My understanding is that the um, Partnership Board Chairman has, within the last few days, said that the whole process is about levelling up performance. Staffordshire leads the country in certain areas, and I think indeed he, he I think it's this idea of return of spontaneous circulation, um, that Staffordshire leads the country in certain areas, and he said it is the task of the West Midlands Trust to bring its performance up to those levels. So in other words, I think it is very clear that this is about the West Midlands coming up to the Staffordshire, um, very high standard that has been set, and not the other way round. Is it not the case that even in any merger, Staffordshire Ambulance Service would retain an autonomous locality so it would be working to the same methods and standards as it is at the present, including using the Lucas device, which aids resuscitation, and its pioneering system status management, which has put Staffordshire Ambulance at the top of the national ambulance tables for eight years. As my honourable friend said, it is about levelling up performance, not down. I can assure my, my honourable friend that's precisely what, it, what it's about, and she's absolutely right in saying um, that, that the purpose is, in fact, to get the synergy that's there from the merger, but at the same time actually lift the standard on, in West Midlands up to that of Staffordshire. She's absolutely right as well in saying that, of course, the location issue will be very, very important and has been properly dealt with. And in addition to that, thanks to the investment we're putting in, um, the Staffordshire PCT has had around about, I think, a 20% increase in funding, and that funding will, of course, help the ambulance service maintain its very high standards. Peter Bourne. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, last month, unemployment in Wellingborough increased yet again. At the end of last year, unemployment in Wellingborough was higher than it was at the end of 1997. Who should my constituents hold responsible, the Chancellor or the Prime Minister? As, as a matter of fact, uh, in respect of Wellingborough, 
Uh, my understanding is that the economy is doing extremely well in Wellingborough as a result of the strength of the economy nationally, that we have more jobs in Wellingborough as well. And since we're on the subject of Wellingborough, last week uh, he may recall that he asked me at Prime Minister's questions about the Kettering General Hospital's new 80 million treatment centre and suggested it wasn't going to open. Let me tell him, it opened this Monday. It's an... It's an £18 million investment, and it's another example of our commitment to Wellingborough. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would, uh, would my right honourable friend share my concern that amidst the uh, generally encouraging trends in crime, uh, that there is a rising trend in attacks on those who replenish cash machines. This organised criminal activity, which very often harms those who are carrying out their work uh, delivering cash and puts at risk customers, needs to be substantially reduced. Would he join me in calling for measures to do that? Well, I think the point that my honourable friend uh, draws attention to is, is absolutely right and, and valid. And I understand there are police forces in different parts of the country who are now focusing a strategy specifically on uh, this, this use of cash machines and how people can be robbed at them. And where that strategy is put in place that often involves CCTV and also community support officers, there's been a very sharp reduction in the offence. And what we're trying to do, therefore, is to get that good practice collated in one place and then spread right across the country, because it is a very specific form of robbery that's risen over the past few years. But these measures show it can be dealt with if the right system is put in place. David Evanett. With the increasing cost of the Olympics, does the Prime Minister share the concern of London council taxpayers, particularly pensioners, about the Olympic levy and these rising costs? If he does, what is he going to do about it? We, obviously, this is important that the ODA will, will publish its uh, budget in the, in the next few weeks. And obviously, it's important that we keep the costs properly under control. But let me tell the Honourable Gentleman, I think the Olympics will do an immense amount for London, for the whole of the country. It will be a huge investment in the future of this country. It will be a wonderful showcase. And I actually think whether people are young, youngsters or pensioners or whatever age and in whatever part of the country, we should be extremely thankful we got the Olympics, we should make the investment necessary and we should make sure it is, as we believe it will be, the greatest sporting event on earth in 2012. The government has rightly uh, prioritised tackling antisocial behaviour. Last year, in Greater Manchester alone, there were 26,000 complaints against so-called Minimotos. They're responsible for 40% of complaints about nuisance uh, nationally. Before the House on Friday are proposals to uh, regulate these dangerous uh, machines. Why then isn't the government supporting these proposals? Well, I think it is important that we make sure, I'm not aware of the specific point he makes on the regulations, and I'm very happy to look into it, because my understanding is as a result of the antisocial behaviour measures taken in different parts of the country, these mini-motos, where they've been a real problem, can be lifted and, if necessary, destroyed. And I'm certainly very happy to look into it, because he's quite right in saying that in Manchester, as elsewhere, the new antisocial behaviour legislation has been used vigorously by the local council there to make a great difference to people's lives. So 
I certainly wouldn't want to see anything that uh, impeded our ability, where these mini-motos are causing a disturbance, for the disturbance to be properly dealt with. So I'll have a look into it and, and get back to him. Bob Russell, when he launched his crusade against gun crime, the Prime Minister must have known that three times as many people are killed by knives as by guns. Why is he ignoring knife crime? And ten years on, and ten years on, what has happened to his promise to be tough, to be tough on the causes of crime? I'm afraid he's uh, misinformed, since as well as tackling gun crime, we actually um, are introducing tougher sentences for the possession of knives as an illegal weapon as well. And I think what is maybe more interesting is whether the Liberal Democrats are going to be supporting those uh, law and order proposals, since normally they oppose any tough measures on law and order at all. And as for the causes of crime, I entirely agree we need to deal with the causes of, of crime. That is why we've got Sure Start, why we've got inner city regeneration programs, why we're investing so much in schools, why we're introducing extended school days um, and using the school facilities for voluntary groups and others. We are doing an immense amount of this. So I can assure him, both in respect of crime itself and the causes, we are being commensurately tough. Eric Joyce. Mr Speaker, my constituency of Falkirk's recently seen an upsurge in the amount of public underage drinking. That's led to antisocial behaviour and worse. Now, the police are doing what they can and my local newspaper is running a campaign aimed at reducing this blight on the lives of many of my constituents and indeed people across uh, the whole country. Will my right honourable friend join me in commending the Falkirk Herald's Cork It campaign? Um, I'm very happy to uh, support the Cork It campaign of the Falkirk Herald and to say obviously this is a real uh, issue but I know the Scottish executive have got a strong uh, plan to deal with it, it using antisocial behaviour legislation very similar to what we have uh, in the UK and it shows I think again how the issues of crime and disorder are very very important issues for people out on the doorstep they want to make sure that in their local community people are behaving properly and therefore I give my full backing to the Falkirk Herald's campaign Thank you uh, Mr Speaker Later today the House will be debating the National Vendor Management Service Bill In the consultation leading up to the bill 96% uh, of respondents said they were against the new service. Across the piece, uh, knowledgeable people, organisations and so on, from NAPO, the prison officers and everyone, 96%. My question is, what was the purpose of the consultation? And secondly, how much did that exercise cost the taxpayer? The purpose is obviously to find out, of course, what people think about it. But, but let me just tell them... What so many people, well, before he shakes his head, just listen to the answer. In the voluntary sector, for example, um, organisations like NACRO, who have a long, long record of handling some of the most difficult offenders, the voluntary organisation authorities themselves, the chief executive of Crime Concern, Turning Point, the Rainers organisation, the chief executive of the Association of Voluntary Organisations. What all of them are saying is this, and we all know probably from within our own constituencies, sometimes the voluntary sector can be better at rehabilitating and dealing with some of the worst offenders in society. All that we are saying is, where that can be shown to be the case, why not use the voluntary sector and the independent sector in order to reduce reoffending? 
because at the moment, let me tell them, we have put a large amount of additional money into probation, extra numbers of probation officers, but we believe we can get the best deal possible if we have a partnership between public and voluntary sector. And that's why, with the greatest respect, if people really want to tackle reoffending in our society, they should be supporting this bill tonight. Order. Guardian Unlimited.